2: Welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry.
0: And I'm Mary Beth.
2: In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child.
0: This week, our guest is writer, director, and producer Travis Stevens, a prolific horror producer. He broke out as a writer-director with 2019 film Girl on the Third Floor, which is very goopy and very good. And his follow-up feature film, Jacob's Wife, premiered at South by Southwest and is now available on VOD. Welcome to the show, Travis.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Thanks for for joining us. I'm really excited to talk about uh, the the vampire design in particular. But before we do get into Jacob's wife, uh, can you tell us how you got introduced to horror?
3: Yeah, I, I've I've shared this over over the years, and and it's my very first memory of being alive. It was uh, peering through the vent of a 1970s van at a drive-in through the air vent at some sort of horror movie on the drive-in screen which I believe may be the island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, wow. So, it it was something that had been there in my sort of consciousness. I I was born and raised in Vermont which is, you know, sort of a woodsy place and so becoming a, a you know, heading into the teenage years, Friday the thirteenth, watching <laughs> it at my friend's house, and uh, I think we watched um, part two. Was the first one we saw, and I had to walk home through the woods. And oh no! Oh. That, the, the, the sort of the last ten feet of being in the woods. There was it there was the woods, and then there was a big open yard, and then my the front door of our house and, and the last 10 feet of the woods in that big open yard was the most terrifying thing because i was like oh this is right when you think you're out in the open that's where you're going to be <laughs> murdered although before then I, it didn't occur to me that there'd be killers in the woods but from that point forward there every time i walked through the woods i felt like that so
2: no it's always that last dash that last yeah. dash to the door when, when they oh, yeah. swoop down and get you <laughs>
3: And that's mm-hmm. it. And, and you know, I ran. I ran as fast as I could across that yard, with each step just being convinced that something was going to hit me in the back and and kill me. Um,
0: it's like it's like when you run up the attic stairs, like, and you're in the or not attic yeah. basement stairs. You're like, oh, it's yeah. going to get me when I turn off the light and have to sprint up. It's like a race. Yeah,
3: and you're going to trip. You're going to slip on one of yep. the steps. <laughs> you know it. And yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. And I don't know if you know, I've I've wondered if if people sort of identify with the horror films that sort of reflect the, the environment that they're growing up in Um, because I I had never really emotionally connected to the Halloween movies and maybe in part of it was because the, the the setting was so alien to me, but Mm. the uh, Friday the 13th, just that idea of being out in the woods and, and, you know, having a beer and getting murdered. I was like, oh yeah, that's that's probably happening every weekend. In some <laughs> that's part life of around here. Yeah, yeah.
2: So of the 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 slashers, because you you brought up Jason. So is Jason your favorite of that kind of eighties slasher
3: craze? Yeah, I mean I feel embarrassed saying it because it's certainly no. not the most sophisticated. But uh but you know, I, yeah, that was sort of I think um, th- there's a real meat and potatoes quality to that series that I really, I sort of it worked, you know. Uh, yeah. Even if it's not the most nutritious meal.
2: <laughs> hey, I, there's nothing wrong with junk junk food. Yeah. No. Um. So not even what were some
3: of that. your
2: what were some of your horror favorites growing up as a as a kid?
3: I like the movies that felt like they 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 were showing a opening up a world that you you didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know so like the hellraiser was just oh. i was just like what is this like i mean, literally <laughs> opens up a world but but that sense of danger that you feel while you're watching it not just because of what's on screen but because you're going wait a second what is out there in the world is this a yeah. normal thing like like what is all of this stuff and so yeah that, those were the those were the ones i mean we it was a small town with a couple of video stores, but there was not the depth of sort of you know, horror cinema available. So, right. you know, a lot of a lot of the last, I don't know, whatever can 15 years has been catch catch up and just sort of listening to podcasts and being like, how have I never seen this? And just having my mind blown.
2: I, I relate to that so much because um I, with my, my early childhood, I grew up in Alaska and then uh, we moved to the center of the country in Nebraska. So like my, my horror education was those, those big, you know, the, the Fridays, the Jason's, the, 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 the nightmare on Elm streets, the, the blobs like that 80s, like the big, bigger budget ones. Like there's a whole lot of movies, including the one we're going to talk about tonight that I never saw until much, much older.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's great because I, I find there are certainly people that you meet friends or, or even just people you listen to where you're just like, wow, like you had, you were capped into everything at such an early age. And, yeah. and I can appreciate that, but you know, you sort of come across stuff the way the you Verse intends tens, you too, and, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, for me, similar is the big budget stuff. But but again, I think that's what I admire so much is like there were these bigger budget movies that were still weird as fuck and like uh the people the people under the stairs like i was just oh my god i was like wait wait what like who is this couple what is this movie
0: oh my god we first watched that i first watched that this year and i was like this is not what i expected what the fuck is happening like this is a movie that like is a classic and this is not at all what i expected it's so weird
3: yeah, just operating on its own sort of uh rhythm and own logic and and is also something that there's just this like really ex- not extreme, that's not the right word, but the like a really strong flavor of what the fuck in yeah. <laughs> something that is designed to be a pretty commercial I'll say product, but you know, yeah, like, yeah. You no, just, yeah. the fetish stuff in that you're just sort of like it feels so dangerous. Like
2: I love it when a movie can do that when when it is like a bigger budget type film, but it still is able to be as weird as people under the stairs. You know, it's it's that's that's such a fascinating movie because of the fact that it was, you know, Wes Craven and operating in the 90s. Like it's it's amazing. It amazes me that stuff like that can get made. I love it.
3: Yeah. And, you know, it's happening less and less. So, yeah.
2: Independent films. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, So when I had originally reached out to you, one of the problems with the podcast is that, you know, there's a lot of movies that that scare people that we end up covering already. And you had mentioned The Watch in the Woods, which we had already talked about. But I am curious, what was it about the movie that that affected you as a kid?
3: Uh, Again, probably setting. But I think it was one of the first movies I went to alone and i oh and and i don't know why i think it was a double feature with the um the headless horseman uh the animated one oh yeah uh, mm. so i think it was like a matinee showing and maybe my parents you know maybe we all thought i was just going to see a, a you know animated movie for kids yeah. but watching that in the the moments of sort of i think it was the drowning and in the writing mm. of the word in the in the glass in the breath on the glass ba- like just these images were so strong, yeah, and like I got yeah, I was just shook, and I think that movie really has a uh, a really effective you know oppressive tone like it feels feels not evil, but it you definitely feel that sense of danger from it
2: well, it doesn't feel like a a, a typical like what we'd consider a kids movie either
3: yeah, yeah, there's an unhinged like like really sort of edge to it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: So as an
2: adult, what would you say draws you to horror now?
3: I mean, it's it's such a malleable genre where you can explore so many different things. I don't know. I think uh, you're just craving something uh, to be transported, to Mm -hmm. feel something that maybe you haven't felt before or, or to see something explored in a new way. And perhaps this is happening in other genres, but consistently there'll be a movie that comes on the radar, either from the festival circuit or, or you know, reviews or whatever. And I'm just amazed by some aspect of it, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. the aesthetics or the ideas or the performance or the execution, you know, sometimes all of them, but there, there just seems to be so many interesting opportunities there for filmmakers to, to do different things. So, yeah, I mean, I would never be like, Oh, I, I like only like horror movies because it's not true. Right. I, I love movies and cinemas and feeling stuff, and but there's this consistency to the genre that it just keep paying off like mm-hmm. more often than not. And and even the movies that I watch and am hyper critical of, I could see something of value in there. Yeah, and there are a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> Sorry for being a dick so early into the episode. Yeah. Uh, no,
0: no. <laughs> so, do you ever get like that childhood fear watching horror? Still, because I know you know Terry and I often talk about how we're a little bit jaded at this point after watching so many horror movies. So, are you, are you ever do you get scared still from horror?
3: Yes, not uh, like you. I'm sure not as often. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think especially mm-hmm. it becomes easier and easier to, 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 or it becomes harder and harder to turn off the part of your brain that's, um, uh, deconstructing and evaluating the, oh, the, tell me about the mechanics it. of what's happening. Yeah. But there have been times, I mean, like when I watched the witch, I mm. had a link before it came out and I watched mm. it, we were uh, shooting in Montana and it was cold and windy night I was in bed watching Oof. it on a tiny laptop and was absolutely Ooh. fucking terrified and yeah. at the same time I, I couldn't believe it I wanted to like text people and be like oh, I'm so fucking scared right now I can't believe it I can't believe it I can't believe it uh, um, so yeah and, and, and there's you know there are certainly times where even if the, the whole the whole movie I'm not terrified you know I, I I'm still getting swept away occasionally. I, I found the Empty Man it's really <gasps> a, a fascinating watch because you just didn't know what was going to happen next. And I was, know. Oh my god,
0: Empty Man forever. We're huge <laughs> yeah.
3: fans. We're huge fans of it. <laughs> yeah, and and that's and I think it goes back to you know when you had asked sort of like you know, what draws me to horror, it's like because there's still room in it to do things like that where you can just sort of rip the rug out from under the audience and it's happening less and less, like m- more and more movies, almost movies and all entertainment just is so designed to do one thing. And I think as an audience, we're just as attuned to the the way things work as the people creating it. And so we just are all sort of sitting at the table, you know, going through the motions and there's not any, there's not as much sort of unknown and, and creative sort of discovery happening. Uh, so when you see it like this, when a movie gets through and it gets through at a level where they have the budget to, to do things that you normally wouldn't be able to do if nobody was paying attention, like it's, something to be celebrated.
2: I mean, that's another movie sort of like going back to People Under the Stairs. It's a movie that has a, a really, I mean, it looks beautiful. And you're also wondering how did this get made? Because it's, you know, it's over two hours long. It's wild. It has this bizarre cold open. But that's like you said that. I love that because it does catch you by surprise.
3: Yeah, my experience watching that movie was constantly reminding myself or the movie reminded me that I don't know as much as I think I know because mm. about ten minutes into that cold open, I was already thinking about what my tweet was gonna be comparing it to like uh, <laughs> Scott Smith's The Ruins. I'll be oh, like, yeah. mm, another oh entry God. like the ruins that takes new tourist and puts them into an environment. And then it's like, wait, what? Where are we now? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? And then being like, Oh, okay, yeah, I get it. And then suddenly it's this, you know, mainstream teen horror movie and it's yeah. like oh, okay yeah yeah and by the third time he had done that i was just like well just sit back bud because you're not that smart <laughs> and the movies way ahead of you so enjoy it
1: oh
2: man i love that
0: <gasps> oh it's such a good movie
2: <laughs> so um so going transitioning from from talking about uh, other people's movies let's talk about jacob's wife can you tell our listeners a little bit about what the movie is about
3: Jacob's Wife is, uh, the story of Anne Fetter, who has been married to Pastor Jacob Fetter for 30 years and feels that her life has gotten small and she has been strangled by her relationship. And it's the story of a woman who, through a, uh, sort of a fantastic event, rediscovers her own voice and her own agency, um... So yeah it's basically uh, a marriage drama that uh, goes batshit insane once a vampire <laughs> bites the, the character. <laughs> well, okay
2: so what the what I love so much about this movie is getting Barbara and Larry together and I know they're they were in you know your're next together but I, other than but they never acted against each other in that movie so seeing the two of them together in this film, it, it reminded me how much of a powerhouse they both are and how much of a mainstay they are in independent horror. How, how did this all come together?
3: Well, so when, when I had read the script, because Barbara had uh, found it and nurtured it and developed it and she had sent it to me and said, Hey, um, I, I, this is a passion project of mine and I'm going to produce it. And uh, would you, you know, read it as a favor and, and, my reaction immediately was, yeah, you're a friend and I want to do everything I can to help you. And while reading it, I saw the potential for what this could be for her, not just as a movie, but as a, as a sort of a, a launching pad for the next stage of her career, mm. uh, both as a producer mm. and as an actor. So even before finishing the script, it was... The thought process of okay, well, how would one go about engineering up in a shoot that would allow her to launch basically? And one of the things was looking for moments in this script that give her a chance to show demonstrate a different type of acting than she has in. Uh, some of the more recent horror films that she had been in, really trying mm-hmm. to find more, I think, actors call them private moments or internal moments, sort of expand the, the space in the script for that character and for her to exist so that we can really get a sense of who this person is before this crazy shit happens. And yeah. so that's like uh, on, a, on a script writing level. But how do you go about filming that you know, especially on a low-budget movie where there's not as much prep time. Mm -hmm. For Barbara, too, it's a different style of acting. So all of those elements, I was just like, well, Larry comes from a school of sort of more grounded, naturalistic uh, performance. He's also a filmmaker, which Mm -hmm. gives you a nimbleness and an understanding of of what the intention of a scene is. Like, I was just like, with Larry there and her I think she would have the support and I would have the support to be honest uh, for us to capture something that feels more truthful than, than whatever was on the page. So that that was it. Now we had all worked together on Ted Gagin's We Are Still Here. Oh, that's right. And so I Mm -hmm. had seen sort of what both brought to, to a scene and especially what they brought behind the scenes and, it just seemed like a pairing that would uh, accomplish goal number one, which is helping Barbara sort of have this showcase. That was a really long answer, and I understand if you just want to cut it up.
2: <laughs> no, no, I. it's fascinating. No,
0: it's a, it's amazing because, I mean, this is like – Barbara is like mind-blowing in this movie. Like I've never – She's in so much, but the way that the script really gives her room to, like, experiment and work with, like, her facial expressions and quiet, a kind of a quieter role is absolutely fantastic. And she, the way you directed her and her performance and, like, Larry supporting her, like, she is such an amazing character and an amazing performer.
3: Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and I'm really glad <laughs> that uh, people get to see it. No, I That's mean, it? it's, it's so, like, a, over the course of talking about this movie... You, you are focused on different things, but, but recently, I'd even say through this weekend now that it's released and I've gotten a bit of perspective on it, it really comes back to what was the primary goal with this movie. And it was to give Barbara Crampton her Alan Burston performance or Gina Roland style performance, like a, a showcase performance. And despite the the any of the faults of the film or any of the criticism of the film, pretty uniformly people are are seeing and appreciating her and her acting, and it it feels great because it's like cool, we did it.
2: It feels as propulsive this it her role in this as propulsive as it was in in your next, where that kind of brought her back to the the horror mm-hmm. forefront, and then this movie sort of takes that and pushes it even forward. In my opinion, you know, you were talking a little earlier about the, the sort of the, the private moments or the, that kind of moment that actors are looking for. And one of my favorite scenes in this film, this isn't really a question. It's just sort of like a, a a kudos is this is the scene where they're at dinner after she's been bitten. And it feels almost like a, a fencing match between the two where she flirts with the, the waiter. And then he tries to assert his dominance by saying, can you get a, box for my wife and she's like I'm not going to eat it I'm done with it and it's just that that small conversation followed by the sort of looks and the focus on like his Adam's apple and the focus on like that kind of thing that it brings me a whole new appreciation for both of them together to be perfectly honest
3: yeah I mean in the design of how to how to try to capture some life here or or capture that dynamic between them I, I you know I'd produced a bunch of films and, and mm-hmm. I made another film. And and I thought one one way to do it would be to shoot with two cameras for these sort of conversation scenes, dinner scenes, stuff like that, so that you'd basically double the amount of time you could spend shooting the thing. Oh, and okay, that would yeah. give the actors a little, and, and myself more time to sort of evolve and discover the scene. Um, yeah, I mean, they came prepared... But we also had time to shoot and really capture capture that stuff and find those sort of um, punctuation marks, visual punctuation marks for for what was going on. Uh, but I mean, and to go back to being prepared, uh, I read an interview with Larry today where he had been talking about one of his favorite aspects of it is in pre production. I had sent them both uh, sort of a list of questions to help them sort of fill in the backstory of their characters and you know, really specific stuff like who was the first person your character dated? Was it, you know, your spouse? Who was the first person they had sex with? Wow. Who did uh, you vote for in the last four elections? All these little basically points of like fence posts to put in there so that we could start sort of building the shape of what their life together was you know, where did you go to high school? Did you Have you ever been fired? Like really, really just sort of like things that are not in the script oh. and things that did not end up in the movie necessarily, but allowed us to then come together and have conversations to define their relationship. It's like, that's the fun part of the process. Is mm-hmm. the, I mean, that's the artistic part and the creative part. And yeah, so with, with both of those things, I think that's part of why those intimate scenes, even if there's... Not as much dialogue in the exchanges, giving information. I think both of the actors were so attuned to exactly where they were in this domestic battle (laughs) as characters, (laughs) Right. they were more prepared for
0: it. Yeah. And so vampires i love vampires <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> and then the, the other thing <laughs> and then you know yeah, yeah. the vampire yeah, aspect yeah. so i love this like this interpretation of the vampire is amazing like it is this kind of like freeing it's freeing instead of necessarily this kind of like torturous immortality. mortality i liked this in this kind of looking at being a vampire as an escape from domestic life and how the master is this androgynous creature that is like, I'm, you know, you can escape the way you're living now and do something different. So what was it like, cre- like what was the inspiration for creating such a cool interpretation of the vampire?
3: I think there were multiple sort of aspects that all came together, which was mm-hmm. in the original script, the master had been, uh, more traditional uh, male suitor character okay Mm -hmm. and in looking at it and trying to figure out you know what could we do to sort of land this theme differently (laughs) the it was you know it just was clear like well if you change the gender so it's you're removing the suitor aspect of it that opens it up a lot and once you do that then it's there was this other sort of thought process of wanting to honor classic vampire movies and knowing that I wanted this movie to sort of transform, uh, with Anne over the course. And so to end up in a place where in the last act of the movie, you're really 100% in an over the top 80s style vampire movie.
2: Yes. It seemed like, <laughs> okay,
3: so here's a way to do both and also do something new. So there's like a, yeah, the sort of thematic motivation, and then tonal motivation and aesthetic motivation because to be honest, uh, I there are so many alt vampire movies that I love, but also I like a capital V vampire movie. And it was so nice to do that and be like, here she is. This is a motherfucking vampire who just walked into the city. <laughs> it's we're not playing around uh, so.
2: i love that and bonnie aaron seems to have such a good time with this role like she just seems to be eating it up pun, no pun intended but i just <laughs> i i love her in this performance
3: yeah it's, it's you know similar to what happened with barbara and and to 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 a certain extent larry too where we we're sort of like hey here are some actors who are really experienced and maybe um not typecast, I don't want to say that, but maybe the, the, they don't often have roles that, that um, give them as much to do. I mean, yeah. Bonnie was another uh, mm-hmm. actor who's clearly had some huge cinematic moments in her career. that Everybody is just like, holy shit, I love that scene. But, you know, the dialogue and stuff was something that was a, a, a new chance for her you know to show mm-hmm. this and and so we, when we were talking about it and and just to be clear like i'm not saying like i'm some sort of genius this was a group sort of exploration of <laughs> of hey this is kind of cool we're heading in this direction and maybe this makes sense to to do over here as well um but in talking with Bonnie you know i think she it was just fun because basically my my note to her was just you need to play this like a rich divorcee. And oh my
1: God. It's just,
3: <laughs> all you want to do is just tell this girl, you don't need to settle. Oh. Your life can be whatever it wants. Let's go have a drink. And I
1: love
2: that. Cause I could see that. I, the moment you say that it's, it, it comes perfectly into relief.
3: Yes. Yeah. And yes, but that's the energy It's like, like, and again, you're trying to do something new with these tropes. Uh, and yeah, it was cool. It was cool. And I, I mean, she's an amazing, amazing person, amazing to work with. And again, it, it's nice to see people recognize her performance. And I hope we get to see lots more Bonnie Aaron. Me
2: too. Oh, so before we, we, we do wrap up this portion of it, I, I got to say, Tara Bush, composer, vinyl, when?
3: <laughs> In the works. I think, I think by the time this airs, the, the digital News: the digital release news will be out there as well as perhaps the record itself. And then talks are underway about the hot wax version of it. Yes, <laughs> Yeah.
0: Hot wax. And she's hot amazing wax.
3: to work with. She's an amazing musician. And, and on this sort of sculpting this 80s style score where not just because it was synth, but like, like going back to Friday the 13th, like I would just send example after example of scenes where it's not the most sophisticated music in Friday the 13th, but the space in between the notes and, and, and the instrumentation choices accent what's happening on screen so effectively. And that's something that really has fallen out of vogue with like modern horror, horror films, which tend to be almost more sound design score. And so working with Tara on coming up with something that you know, dings dongs and, and sort of <laughs> moves through in that sort of like throwback style was, uh, was a lot of fun.
2: Plus, I, I just got to say, loved hearing Concrete Blonde.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, certainly it's been done, but uh, before, but I, I think you, you know, just, I remembered when I was whatever it was, 14 or 15 and Wearing pirate shirts that I had ordered from (laughs) Los Angeles that came in the mail. And reading Anne Rice and, yes. you know, <laughs> hanging out with my goth girlfriend in a cabin <laughs> in Vermont, listening <laughs> to Jeanette in Concrete Blonde. That was as vampire-y as you could possibly be. And so for me personally, Fuck I was yeah. like, it is going in the movie. So wow. We had it uh, recorded uh, before, before we shot so we could actually... You know, this barber could dance to the actual song. Oh, I love that. I love that.
2: Just an
0: ideal, ideal, ideal situation. Goth, goth couple in the woods. Let's say the <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean,
3: this is what you're you're trying to find your connection to this the, the the material, right? And and what is it? You know, what is it that made you feel what 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 is it about it that has some kernel of truth to it? And and yeah, that was that was so. Them.
0: Travis, we've talked about your horror history, we've talked about Jacob's Wife, but what movie did you bring with you to discuss today?
3: I would love to talk about Ken Hughes' Night School. Which I was, would love <laughs> to
2: talk about this yeah. too. I
0: would <laughs> all love to. So, okay. So the first synopsis I'm going to read of night, of night School is very dumb, but it's very funny. It's like a tagline. Who's been decapitating the innocent girls at a local night school? The police are baffled.
2: That is literally the line at the top of IMDb. (laughs)
0: It's like the main synopsis for this movie, which is not. It's awesome, but it doesn't
2: really tell you anything.
0: But to get a, (laughs) To get a better sense of the film, a Boston police detective investigates a series of gruesome decapitations of various college coeds committed by a helmeted black leather clad serial killer, which leads that which leads him to suspect a well known anthropology professor as more than just an adulterous teacher. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So,
2: Travis, I got to know, give us your horror story with this movie. How old were you? How did you see it? When did you see it? Give us all those dirty details.
3: All right. I am going to try to set the stage here by doing some math, which will take a second. <laughs> I was born in... So, okay, so. okay. So, I would have been either nine or ten years old, and our family... It was moving from a house in New Hampshire about 10 minutes away to our house in Vermont. And during the move, my parents said, hey, maybe it's better if you're with a babysitter while we do all this move. So my experience with this movie was sitting on a couch in a living room in some stranger's house. Oh, boy. And they just sort of (laughs) put on the TV. And this movie was playing. And at the end, it was nighttime when my parents came to pick me up. We went to our new house, and I went to my bedroom for the first time to go to bed. I got into bed, and there was a direct line of sight from my bed, from my pillow, through my door, through the bathroom door, into the toilet. There is a a scene in this movie featuring a toilet that is so fucking horrifying. And I was seized with fear and and got out of bed, had to go and sleep downstairs. I think I slept downstairs for the first few nights in in that new place. So...
2: You obviously can't see my face, but I just put my hands in front of my mouth when you said that because I'm just imagining... (laughs) 10-year-old Travis just seeing a decapitated head in this gross toilet, and that is being the image you're carrying with yourself to the new house. Oh my god.
3: Yeah, and there was something because the house wasn't fully unpacked. So the house itself was uh. a little stripped down and bare, which kind of felt a bit more like the movie bathroom. Like there wasn't <sighs> I mean it was a set, basically to me. It was the first time I had ever been there. And, right. and here's this thing. And I and literally like we basically finished the movie, and I got in a car and went to this. So, yeah, it really, it really struck me. And, and there's such a just a, a sleazy quality to this movie that no ten year old should ever, ever experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if you want to turn out awesome, maybe you should experience <laughs> it. <laughs>
2: So, OK, so we have the decapitated head in the toilet, which is probably the like the high point for me in terms of this, like the, the griminess of this film. But were there other sequences that that stood out to you when you were a kid? Or was it just I, that moment?
3: I don't want to ruin it for everybody, but every oh no, single we're gonna time- go spoilers. Okay. We're gonna okay, talk great. about
2: this. We're tearing every, this movie oh, apart. Yeah. We're gonna every talk everything. Every single
3: time they find a fucking head, I'm like, that's absolutely terrifying. The turtles, <laughs> the soup, <laughs> the turtles. Like it's a, it's, it is a, it is so mean spirited. Yes. And, yeah, and this is the director of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. i know his last movie too yeah well because he realized fuck it i have made one of the greatest horror films (laughs) of all time i can step on to the next phase of my life why why fuck around anymore
2: i mean you you go from you know casino royale to chitty chitty bang bang to night school that is that is quite a a trajectory right yes range absolutely (laughs) the
0: range yeah. And there's, you know,
3: I, I, at the time I didn't understand it and, uh, you know, maybe we won't be able to speak to it uh, with the best um, perspective now. But just the fact that it was a female killer who was pissed yeah. off,
1: Oh it was such
3: a surprising reveal. Like I, I couldn't wrap my head around it then. And even later in life, it was like, that's so fresh. And, like, to be pissed off and to have a reason for why she was doing what she was doing just felt, like, different and, and again, not more dangerous, but just sort of, like, oh, wait, what? This can happen?
0: I, I like, I almost, like, I gasped <laughs> so loud at that moment. I was, like, this is the best movie I've ever seen now. Like, yeah. I love a movie with a female killer, and it's so hard to find. Fu- it's, like, not very common, especially in the slashers. And this one, I was, like, oh, oh my god she's the she was the final girl but actually she was the killer all along and it's such an in and like the we'll probably get we'll get to this later but like the gender dynamics of this film are very fascinating and then her reasoning for being the killer is just so wild and cool and i don't know if cool is the right word but i just love the construction of her character and that that was how they decided to end it like I saw a lot of parallels with this with Black Christmas, especially with discussions of, like, abortion mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Yeah. Sorry, that was my kitten trying to get out of the... Yep. yep. <laughs> the choice
2: of podcasting. <laughs> she has yeah. a little Siamese cat that is just goes from demure to playful in, like, an instant. Amazing. Mike, that okay, cat. Okay, we're good. I sorry want to about that.
0: <laughs> she will, too. She has a lot to say. She does. She's got a lot of opinions. She's um, a critic including- in training. Dick. she is a critic in training and like the little like thing that makes the note like the door stopper that you can flick and it makes that loud ass noise she knows that if she hits it enough times we'll let her out of the room or like do something she's for her. like she's too smart it's yeah a problem anyway
3: my, my partner calls cats uh pillows with knives for fingers
0: <laughs> i love it wow
3: that's amazing. One more thing about Knife School that, that I, even at a young age made such an impression was that the sort of look of the killer and the weapon the killer used was so real world. You could wrap your head around it, but also exaggerated. And it was just sort of like, what is this? Like, what is that knife? You know?
2: There's not enough Kukri uh, slashers. <laughs> yeah.
3: Oof
0: also i I felt very excited that i've seen that before and um forged in fire the knife making show on history channel (laughs) (laughs) just like like been like my go-to one of my go-to pandemic shows but it's very it's it's like it's so much scarier than a knife because it's got that curve in it and there's something so much there's something even more cruel about it than like the typical machete that we see or like big knife that we see
3: uh... And I'm sure it's got to be intentional, but that is a very phallic weapon.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: It really and is. It's like
3: it, all those things add up, you know, and you're just watching this thing that on its surface is one thing. But it's like there's all of these decisions that have been made in the creation of this thing that you think you have your head wrapped around that are really fucking clever.
2: Yeah. So I, I kind of that is the thing that, that jumped out at me at this with this viewing in particular was the flow of this movie where it starts with the, of course, the, the first death. And then we're following Judd, the policeman, the detective. And when he goes to the school, all of a sudden the story transitions from being about him. And it, it introduces Eleanor who of course we're expecting to be the final girl and it follows her for a bit. And then it goes to Kim for her death. But the way the story just sort of flows from being this detective story to being, a a slasher movie, and then back to a detective story is is really fascinating for a 1981 slasher.
3: Yeah, I mean, and maybe this is because the filmmaker had come from such big movies, right? Like maybe he just Mm -hmm. brought a a, a level of experience and craftsmanship well beyond what this movie would normally receive, you know? Because it, it, it really does, even visually, it's sophisticated in how it moves through these sequences. This is not just a, you know, static camera, you know, sort of those tropes that were being used, you know, time and time again in, in the slashes of, of the era. This thing has uh, a much more, it it flows much more like a, like a roller coaster than just um, got no, analogy here so oh like a friday the 13th or something like that honestly <laughs> yeah, <totally>. i mean <laughs> totally where it's just a smash cut you know you know here comes the weapon down and cut to black like no this is like this is uh, a much slicker looking and and constructed
2: you brought up Mary Beth, the uh, the the aquarium scene with with the, the the killer lurking
0: like the editing in this movie and this like this is with the aquariums the killer because it's like i was like oh they're just at the aquarium this is really weird just like these lo- like these these quick shots of of the person the diver feeding the yeah. sea turtles and the sharks and then you just see the killer kind of peek his head or her head around the corner <laughs> and then disappear. And I was like, what's happening? And then, you know, he reveals that the diver is a woman and all this stuff. But then when he cuts off her head and then he decks the sea turtle with yeah. the head, <laughs> like the sea turtle, just it hits the sea turtle and it's like, what is this? And it's just a head. And it's these creative moments that I've never seen before in these, in like a slasher. And this, like you said, Travis, it's like, it's mean, yeah. but it's so different. And like the editing also, there's a that that scene when Eleanor's in the shower and there's some like she's has run away from someone following her and she locks the door and she's in the shower and you're waiting, like it's her, and then it quick cuts to a hand ringing the doorbell, and then the shower head, and it's like all these really fascinating quick cuts where you don't know what's gonna happen or you think you know what's gonna happen. And this movie is just all about red herrings, like all around. And it's so it knows exactly what it's doing and it's so smart and how it's like, oop, oop. you think, you know, what's going to happen, but you don't, you think this is the killer? No, it's not. You think this is going to happen to her? No, it's not. And it's just so smart.
3: Yeah. And I wonder if, and this is pure speculation, but I wonder if maybe that Ken Hughes, like not looked down his nose at the genre, but maybe coming from what he came from, he brought that mean spiritedness in like almost like a, like, oh yeah, you you wanna you wanna see this? Let's take it even further, you know. <clears throat> um because it it there is a lot of specificity to those moments, like the ones you just discussed, and 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 really, really pitch black humor to it. I mean in that aquarium scene, when you cut outside and there's the couple walking down and it's the aquarium's built into the side of a building and you just see the turtles pecking out the flesh of the neck and this couple is <laughs> sitting there walking. Oh my like, God. like, that is hilarious and so gruesome.
0: And yeah. It's, it's,
3: <laughs> you know, I mean, the, to end these sequences with that, that kind of punctuation mark is, you know, again, very specific and, and something that, you know, that it's got to come from the filmmaker just being like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm gonna fucking do it, and and I would like to talk about another thing. which If memory serves me right, doesn't the cop have a sidekick buddy who's like eating all the time? And like he does,
1: yes. <laughs> yep. yeah.
0: The, the tuna, the tuna fish. After like they go and find her head <laughs> in the aquarium, and he's like, "What you got? I'll take some of that." And he's like, "It's tuna fish." And he takes it out of his mouth and hands it back.
3: Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like again, just this like weird vein of just like absurdity and, 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 humor. And also, you know, I mean, that's great casting to, yeah. to, to have in a movie and just be like, yeah, this is what life looks like. And here we go.
2: Like, well, that, that that their partnership together feels like in, in a completely different movie. It would be a buddy cop a buddy cop comedy. Just yeah. their their kind of playfulness. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, I don't know why I stand with you. And Taj is like, because I'm lovable. Like they just have this this easy going banter back and forth that you can tell they've been they're friends as well as partners and have been for such a long time that they know how to, you know, jab each other or you push the buttons. But you also talked about the, the the humor. And my favorite scene on this rewatch was after in the diner when the, the owner comes in in the morning after oh poor Carol has been killed. And when she dies, she had taken out this giant stock pot. She's like, that's not supposed to be in the fridge. And she puts it up on the counter. And then, of course, she gets killed and decapitated. And at this point, we've come to expect that the head is going to be in some liquid. And so... When Gus puts that stock pot back up on the boiler and serves food to the construction workers and – they eat a piece of hair. I'm just like, Oh God, there is a head yeah. in that, in that stockpot, but it's not. And they, they, he plays with you by Gus pouring it out and you're expecting the head to come rolling out. And of course it doesn't. And then it becomes an almost like hide and seek game where like he's, you know, riffling oh, through I the know. cupboards and he is opening things. And you're expecting the head to just fall out at some point And then it's finally revealed to be in the sink, but it's very playful and cheeky and, and mean spirited in a way.
3: Yeah. It's, it's masterful. And, you know, it's something that I've talked a, a lot with other filmmakers about, and, and certainly in my own experience, analyzing why why aren't we having moments like that in movies anymore, or or less often, or well, I'm going to simplify it even more. Why aren't there more mo- moments like that in my movies? <laughs> and it's
0: <laughs>
3: you know, it starts at the script stage, clearly, but. Honestly, it's also the amount of time you have to shoot a movie because I can, I mean, maybe that was in the script or maybe the day they were shooting or the few days they were shooting that scene back then, the director was just sort of like, well, what can we do to drag this moment out more, Hmm. you know? And you would have the time and the luxury in that space to really start playing and building this stuff out more because when you read these older screenplays, sometimes they're very you know, sparse in that is being described in the action, right? you know? Uh, and again, this is pure speculation. I haven't read the original script for this. Maybe it's in there and, and the screenwriter is a fucking genius and I owe him an apology, but, but conceptually, those are the types of things that can happen.
2: Yeah. It's also interesting though, because the, the screenwriter, it, her name, it's, it's Ruth Avrigon. So it's a female screenwriter, which you don't see a whole lot of for, for slasher films, but this is like her only mm-hmm. movie that she's written. And so, I'm. It, it makes me curious about, like, what happened to you, Ruth? Where did you go? Was it? Why are you no longer making movies? Why? What? Why was it just this one
3: script? Because I just it's it, it's based stuff on like, her life, and she got it. <laughs> out And she's there Eleanor. And I, yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> oh my god! This is her. This is her. Like very s- sneaky admission that she, in fact, is an Eleanor all along, and her lover. Took one, took one for the team. I'm gonna
2: start looking <laughs> at decapitations in Boston in the 70s and see if,
3: <laughs> if
2: there's an unsolved cold case.
3: <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to to uh, track down, you know, who she was before that, yeah. and after that.
2: Yeah, I, I just it, it always it always makes me so sad when I see that there's like a movie that that comes across that's so assured as this film, and and it could be because of Ken. I you, you know we don't know, but. Whatever happened with, with the writer when it's only like one, one script, because uh, this is a good segue to talk about. I want to talk about Eleanor. <laughs> I want to talk about yes. all of it. <laughs> <laughs> the OK, so the reason why she is killing these women seems a little I, I, I think that th- this this movie tackles internalized misogyny like a lot, like mm-hmm. all of the characters in this film for it. Well, I, I guess all the main characters, the the cop you'd mentioned Mary Beth um, to me offline about how he kind of is teasing his, uh, his girlfriend slash. I think it's his girlfriend about like making being a make me egg slave, I think is his comment. And it's, it's a tease, yes. but like that is our first, that is for our first introduction to Judd and the only introduction to his, his partner.
0: His only introduction, she never shows up again. And I will say, I did think for like a hot second when they, before Eleanor was revealed, I'm like, wait, I wonder if his partner is the killer because like (laughs) he keeps leaving. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I was just like in my head, I'm like, what if she ends up being the bad guy? But like the gender dynamics are off the bat set. Like um, it's a slasher movie. So, you know, we come to expect these very like tilted gender dynamics where women are kind of treated poorly and you know misogyny but this movie i feel like especially knowing that there's a female writer there's a lot of really pointed looks at that and i think especially in having eleanor be the killer i think it really gets to that point very well
2: and and she gets away with it in the end which i loved
0: oh god yeah she gets away with it
3: i i guess uh i guess i'm a little bit simpler which is oh you cheated (laughs) on your partner you know (laughs) but everything's justified go for it all all acts of revenge uh go for it even you know (laughs) so i did think at the time but of course when i watched it uh it wasn't as evolved i was nine i was ten you know i didn't (laughs) really quite understand uh, (laughs) what
0: was your what your gender your gender reading Uh, when you were nine years old
3: (laughs) i was like i apparently really like People in leather. So, uh, whatever gender <laughs> that is. I was just. Yeah.
2: I mean, same. I just am allergic to it, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, the cruel, cruel irony. I know, right? But that, that, like, with Eleanor comes the professor, this anthropology professor, who is such an asshole. Like, you know, he is introduced as this kind of, he's the You know, the male professor at the School of Women and very much off the bat, they're like, have that dynamic where he is the man in power and he takes advantage of all of these women kind of fawning all over him. So while Eleanor is his main, his main partner maybe he is also has all of his side chicks and he doesn't care about any of this. And he, he is so, it's so funny. He's so obviously set up to be the killer that I knew off right off the bat that he wasn't the killer. I was like, this is just way too obvious.
3: Yeah. My memory. And and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt like almost like he was sort of using his field of study as like his game on these students like I, I just had this this memory of sort of being like wait a second because it, it, he's a is he an uh, anthropologist or what is what he, was his field of study
0: yeah anthropology yeah I, my memory was just
3: sort of like feeling like oh this guy's just like using this as a front to mac on everybody and to seem like basically sophisticated and, and an ally Actually, being a trash. Yeah,
2: I. I mean, I, obvious. Yes, I agree with you hundred percent. But you know, the <laughs> movie does an interesting thing where it, you know, it it compares people in power and those not in power. Because also, his foil is the headmistress, who is also in power over the this troop of young women, and she uses it to get one of the women in bed, like. So you have this sort of, I mean, on one hand, I was kind of like, we got a predatory gay trope in the 1980s a big surprise mm-hmm. but it's also like comparing the two where she is so upset with with him and she even talks at one point that you know i'm gonna fire him he can't be taking advantage of these young girls by the way kathy would you like to sleep over at my house tonight like the 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 dynamics between the two couldn't be more apparent and i for the longest time even on this set this rewatch because it's been i saw this a few years ago and on this rewatch i completely forgot that it was eleanor i thought again that it was uh helene i think is her name helene griffin the headmistress that was the killer because she just it, cuz it, obviously it couldn't be the professor because like you were saying mary beth that uh it seems to be so focused on him as being it but her dynamic is so interesting to the story even though it it kind of falls into that trope
0: yeah and i 100% was not expecting there to be like this queer like very brief storyline and like you know obviously it's the 80s but it would have i would have loved a movie where it's about her like being very manipulative and something like that but maybe they can remake we can remake it travis can you remake this movie and change well, the story to to be gayer <laughs> that,
3: that was gonna be my question to you guys uh i would do i would work for free for as long as it took to help this movie got remake get remade but i think uh i'd love to see a woman direct it. yeah no
0: right I'm, i was texting terry and i was like this is what if we this is remade as a giallo rape revenge movie directed by a woman
3: yeah so
0: like i have a vision <laughs>
3: and that was gonna be my question who should direct this mm. oh
2: mm. I, you know i would love to see a. Uh, it, is it Corley? I, I've never actually said her yeah, name out loud. Yeah, I was going to um, say
0: the same thing. The director of Revenge, yeah. Coralie Farge, I think is how you say I've it. I've
2: never said her name out loud. I've always just written it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, because she would bring, I mean, one of the qualities this had was this cosmopolitan slickness to it. And, and the sort of, mm-hmm. you felt like you were in the city and, and the lighting. I mean, obviously Diallo kind of influenced, but it also felt a little more contemporary and less sort of stage theatrical. And that's something mm-hmm. that you could absolutely nail.
2: Yeah. Everyone calls this like an American giallo and I can totally see it because you have a lot of the the tropes. There's, I mean, obviously it's gender bent, but like the focus on the killer's hands, the the black gloves, the, the black outfit, the use of the knife, like the police procedural aspect of it. There's a lot of things that, that kind of feel like this was definitely influenced by some of the, the giallo, the giallo from the seventies. The
3: yeah. But far more crazy, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, maybe far more is not uh, not accurate. But it's fucking crazy, and everybody better watch it. Absolutely,
0: yes. Like I was, I was like, how does how have I never heard of this movie before? How have I never seen it? Why is not everyone talking about this? I feel like, you know, this is the kind of slasher that I feel like so many people would be into now, especially as like you know horror is evolving and there's just so many amazing movies out there. I feel like Night School is such a good example of these, of one of these movies that needs to have like a renaissance and like a rebirth of people appreciating it because, holy shit, it's so crazy and it's so good. And it's so weird. Like It's just so different from anything else out there. And it deserves just to be recognized for that creativity alone.
3: Yeah, and I think there's, you know, I mean, we've talked about so many different aspects of this, but there's so much... Like Basically, you've got a movie here that has a core concept of how this killer functions that is really, really clever. And a new screenwriter could just riff on basically, Mm -hmm. not to spoil it, but okay, what type of sequences can I create that end up with a head in water like (laughs) that right there? It's like almost like a final destination (laughs) uh, challenge for screenwriters. Oh, my God. Where there's, there's a dynamic to it that is just so specific that can really be a jumping off point for, for a writer. And then there's the look and then there's the gender uh, dynamics aspect of it. There's so much that is specific to this and how they all work together is really fascinating.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I, I was thinking back about this movie because the reason I, I've – I never saw this as a kid. I, it was one of those movies. I, you probably have experienced this as well, Travis. Where you're a kid and you're walking through the VHS aisle in the in the horror section, and you see these covers, and they sort of like they pull you to it because like the the covers in the in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s were so evocative and so interesting. And I remember this this cover because it was basically um, like a school photo of Eleanor. Except that her, it was cut in half and there's like, you see the blade of the kukri on the side and then there's like a blood splat. And I remember being a kid and thinking, Oh my God, you can die at night school. Like you could die at school in this. (laughs) And that was my, that was my only interaction with this film until about I don't remember it was like maybe three years ago. And I was again, like you mentioned earlier, when you are discovering movies, I was listening to a podcast and someone was talking about it and they brought up the queer element to it. And I was like, oh, I have to absolutely have to watch this now. And yes, Mary Beth, I am surprised that this movie doesn't get talked about as much, particularly since it is celebrating its 40th birthday this September.
0: Holy shit. 40. Is that time?
3: Is that a MILF or a kill? Like a movie? I'd like to fuck at that age. <laughs> <laughs> How does it work? We need to do
2: Okay. <laughs> speaking of of like to fuck, this shower is <laughs> a, yeah, a good a segue. I'd like to fuck. There, there you yeah. go. This. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a good segue. This scene, the the one quote unquote sex scene where it is between Eleanor and the professor in the shower, and he is smothering her in strawberry
3: preserves maybe do you remember this at all travis (laughs) i did not until you said strawberry preserves and then suddenly (laughs) it came back (laughs) yeah 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 i mean i mean i'm not here
2: to kink shame but like i don't get this scene it's it's i guess it's supposed to to emphasize the sort of ritualistic nature that they talk about with their setting. But like they're literally sitting in there and he is smothering. It looks like strawberry chunky jelly on her body. Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: It kind of looks like the jelly from poltergeist when they fall out. <laughs> oh, of Oh, like...
2: it does. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, it, and- I mean, it has a, it has sort of um, like a, like a, not a cannibalistic quality too. But it, mm. I, my memory was that it sort of felt mm. familiar, like like there was a, a sort of a, a correlation to the to some of the anthropology stuff that we had either seen in the movie yeah. or yeah. some aspect to it. So there was like a, a raw both in what those characters are going through and I think also sort of what they're trying to. Sort of relate it to.
2: Well, again, the camera is playful because it first focuses on the bathtub full of like, it looks like it's full of red, like blood. And then you, it reveals that they're just in there being painted <laughs> with with jelly. But it, it's again the way that the camera and 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 Ken uh, Hughes plays with expectations because I. I was thinking earlier when you were talking, Mary Beth, about that the way that 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 shower scene is initially constructed where she where she thinks someone's in the house. And it reminds me of Psycho, where there's like the focus yeah. on the shower head. And we get the we're, the camera is actually inside the shower with her. And we see a form moving through the the sort of it almost looks like a body bag, like the 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 curtain is like plastic in a way that body bags are in films. And she sees like a form coming in the room. And it reminded me a lot of, of Psycho in particular with that kind of homage.
0: I thought this I felt the same way too. And I was waiting I was like I was waiting for like the psycho like knife and her screaming. But of course, like they again, he probably knew that's what we were gonna think, and it just was playing with the expectations. Instead we get shower jelly.
3: Exactly.
0: <laughs> 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 just rubbing it in her mouth and kissing it out of her mouth. And I was like, all right, I mean okay, do what you feel, but this is a very strange moment. Like, it's the only sex scene in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and... Bort sex. Set sex in scare quotes, because it's, but, you know. I,
3: and I, I guess sex. I I just go, like, yes, please. More of that. <laughs> like, these things, these turns, like, movies need more things where you're sort of like, wait, where the fuck am I right now? Like, what is it? <laughs> have they done this before? Like, <laughs> yeah, is this right. their thing? Like, what, like... That that when a movie presents something as strange as that as just a normal thing that you're just supposed to accept, I'm like, fuck yeah, cinema. That's it. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) It's
0: so true. It's just like it's like it happens and then it's never discussed. And you're like, oh, fucking sweet. All right. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. You just roll with it. And and nowadays the movies explain every single second that's happening on screen. And I don't know. I find as an audience, you're like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get it. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. no, I like I, it. A hundred percent. Although I have to say that I would have loved to hear a little bit of exposition about what that jelly is. Because it's <laughs> – I sat there for a good five minutes just thinking, what is that? And I actually went to IMDb because sometimes people on IMDb are like crazy, uh like very focused on – delivering a complete plot synopsis of point by point yeah. and i was hoping that someone had some kind of insight but i can't find a single thing about what that
1: was
0: they're probably like no one's gonna no one's gonna think about this and then here we are like what is 40 the years jelly? <laughs> yeah i'm gonna pitch a piece like that <laughs> closer to the anniversary what was the jelly and why was it this way an expose <laughs> and just write <laughs> about this like one minute long scene
3: <laughs> yeah more more you know gross foods and horror films, please, oh yes,
0: yes, always
2: so one one other area that that this movie seems to kind of tackle a little bit, I'm not sure it's as hundred percent successful as it is with some of the other themes that it kind of addresses, but there seems to be like this idea of. I'm using this in, in quotations, listeners, but educated versus this primitive where you have like the girls mm-hmm. at this elite school. So you have that elitism, the, the rich, and they're being preyed on those in power. And then you also have, we have the only other characters we see in this movie are more of the, the the quote unquote, again, working class where you have Carol the waiter at the waitress at the diner and the construction workers and the bus boy. And then you also have, this anthrop- this anthropological side of things where he is actually talking about the quote-unquote pagan rituals overseas and there's some kind of correlation here where i think Eleanor even says it at one point that like we are we're less we're less evolved than we we think we are we're just sort of out of out of the forest and i'm not 100% sure that it's 100% successful but i was kind of curious about your thoughts on that
0: i agree i think there's definitely something there with the like the anthropology him being an anthropology professor and at the beginning he talks about this ritual where the woman crawls through something as like a birth is like a, a spiritual canal, yeah. rebirth yeah like a spiritual rebirth ceremony and it. And then, then, then there's like the jelly smearing, which I think I feel like has something to do, like feels like it's related to that. And there are these moments where they try to make this connection. But I don't and I don't think like you said, Terry, it's that successful. I think it's brought up. I don't think it needed to be in the film. I don't think it really brought anything necessarily. Like I was more in like into like the gender dynamics rather. And they didn't really tie that in as much or mm, like they mm-hmm. didn't focus on that as much so i thought that i was like okay so with this anthropology discussion at the beginning maybe there'll be more of a connection to like gender dynamics in what they perceive as a primitive society again in scare quotes versus our gender dynamics now but yeah it didn't go there but that's you know
3: i'm gonna i'm gonna give a a cheeky answer as a filmmaker which, (laughs) (laughs) which is sort of like Hey, man, I came up with the idea to throw a fucking head in a turtle tank. Like, what more do you need from the movie, man? Like, I'm doing everything I it, can.
0: It, but that's exactly just that's all I want. Just that tur- a fucking turtle, a sea turtle eating a head in an aquarium.
3: Like. Yeah, I, I do think that to a certain extent, there's only so much a movie can accomplish. Uh, I want secret, it all, though, but, Travis. I, I want know, it
2: to solve but... every issue that I possibly <laughs> have with
3: it. Come I, on, believe me. I listen to podcasts. I understand it's it's <laughs> important. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I mean, sometimes it's like, yeah, we, we couldn't get to all of it. <laughs> we did our best.
0: <laughs> we prioritized heads in water, and that is what matters. I, mean, <laughs> I,
2: I I applaud that that aspect because there there is not enough fun ways to do a decapitation in films i will say one thing i do wish that more films would take from this is okay so first of all i love that she gets away with it there's the scene at the funeral Ugh. where she like just walks away from the the casket as it's getting laid into laid to rest and the priest is doing his priestly things and she's just like i've had enough with it i'm walking away from it <laughs> And like, she walks into Judd and he's like, this is over, right? And she's like, yes. And then they just sort of, that's it. He knows that she did it. He can't prove it. She's on her way. But then we get a final (laughs) jump scare in the movie that ends up just being Taj, just being, you know, his lovable self. He just jumps up in the backseat and we think it's the killer coming to kill him. And it's just Taj and it's a freeze frame of them laughing. And that's the final image of the movie. And why don't more movies have a fake jump scare at the end? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and also it's my favorite. It's like I was like, oh shit, oh my god, and then it's like, ha, and then it's just like it just ends the credits, just him laughing. Ain't and I a just stinker? A practical- <laughs> like, <ain't- laughs>
3: yeah, it's weird. And, oh my and god. And is it supposed to just sort of like leave the audience with this feeling of like life goes on, crazy shit happens, and life goes on, or is the filmmaker just sort of like? Man, I really like this actor who plays Todd. I gotta get him in the movie. We gotta find another way to use him.
2: For that, I say thank you, Ken Ken Hughes. I keep wanting to call him Ken Russell because I've watched The Devils recently.
0: Why not both? Yeah. I love him, and also I want to say, what's this, what about how he ended on this like very strange, like "Hey, life goes on" note?
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's there's so many choices in this movie, and, and each one I think is the right choice
0: yeah <laughs> exactly
2: i agree one final one final thing because i am a, i love scores in movies and the composer of this is brad Bidel, i think is how you say his last name who goes on to do fright night one and two the terminator one and two and true lies as a composer and he brings wow. such a somberness and melancholy to this film it's such at odds with what you would typically see in a slasher film. And I loved it.
0: I agree. There's also like that kind of like that, those, sa- the, whenever there's like the killer, it's that weird kind of like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> my very like professional description of the score, but it's so off-putting and so creepy. And it just, it puts you on edge right away. And I really, I really did enjoy that, that aspect of the film as well.
3: Yeah. Plus wonder, he had quite a career. Is there a soundtrack available for this? Night School on Vinyl. That's Google. It needs to be if it's not. Pulling me to a Tower Records website, so I don't know what that, that is. Does that still exists. Yeah, what is
1: this? TowerRecords.com. <laughs> what?
2: Yeah, things coming know. up for me. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of the artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it needs to be because it's, it's a it's a different score, but it, it stood out to me. And I was like, who did this? And I had to go look and I was like, oh, wow. Fright Night, Terminator, True Lies. Hell Yeah.
0: I think that we really need to make a campaign for this movie and make it come, make the soundtrack come out on vinyl and have a have a re-release. So that should be our goal for 2021, everybody. Let's hey, do it. That feels achievable.
2: There's still time. I, so. I mean, you know, the 40th anniversary is in September. We got months.
0: Let's do it. Maybe we can All pass right, out
3: the fake diplomas to everyone who attends the screening.
0: <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> give them like, give them a tiny like. Tiny little head on a keychain. Yeah, and
3: little gummy <laughs> knives uh, you can chew on. Guys, oh my god.
2: A little scorecard. Yeah. <laughs> Report card type thing.
3: And then we'll I do like it. a bobbing for apples type thing oh, so
2: that
0: people can Oh, have oh, oh, oh and, my and god. Water. A
2: bunch of like doll heads.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you get the doll head, you get a prize. Like if you get an apple, you get the apple. But if you get one of the heads, you get like some kind of special prize. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> All right. There we go. Great, guys. We've got the campaign. Um, <laughs> All right, guys. So, Speaking Terry, of
2: <laughs> heads.
0: <laughs> heads. Terry, how many aquarium heads out of five do you give Night School? There we go. For some reason, my brain went empty. <laughs> um. <laughs> you know,
2: uh, this movie... Man, I saw this again for the first time three years ago, and I loved it then. I completely forgot about the killer, and watching it again was like watching it for the first time. And there is something very special about this movie. I I think it really needs to come back into our cultural awareness. Maybe this podcast can help foist it in that direction. I think this movie is great. I probably, I think I'll probably give it, f- oh gosh, four and a half. But I'm cutting that poor head into halves again i oof, that's that's messy but
0: half half eaten by a sea turtle oh
2: there you go i wanted to provide dinner for the sea turtle so i'm cutting that that fifth <laughs> head in half and four and a half aquarium heads out of five i think this movie is great go watch it what about you Mary Beth?
0: i agree four and a half aquarium heads half eaten by a sea turtle this movie <laughs> was so surprising it's got a cool killer, Diallo influences, cr- like really cruel kills, and it deserves the renaissance that a lot of other movies are getting right now. And I cannot wait to watch this movie again. Um, Travis, you have the final word. How many aquarium heads out of five do you give Night School?
1: I would
3: rate it four aquarium heads. Okay. But I will say the only head that matters is my 10-year-old <laughs> head, and it blew that fucking head smithering and here we are talking about it you know a few decades later so thank
2: goodness uh, errant
1: babysitter like
3: (laughs) yeah I know and to be honest I don't remember the babysitter doing a single thing the entire time she like (laughs) sat me in front of the TV left and fucking terror like traumatized me
2: this is like the third time that we've had trauma via babysitter for the podcast and god love them (laughs) 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 Uh, well thank you so much travis for joining us to talk about night school and reintroducing us to this this cult classic in the making where can our listeners find you and what do you have that you'd like
3: to plug you can find me at travis stevens on twitter and instagram and what should i plug i guess i've got this movie jacob's wife that (laughs) is out in theaters and on vod now all across the u.s if you've got time and you want to see a uh, uh, Gonzo vampire movie. Hey, there you go. There you go.
0: There you go. So listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What ha- What was your experience with night school? Send us an email at Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MBMcAndrews.
2: And I'm at dreadful.
0: And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast.
2: And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe.
0: Thank you to Eric Powder, Powder. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy.
2: And until next time.